Good morning. It's good to be with you again. I'm going to take the suspense away and uncover And uh, before I start, let's uh, have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that you love us and you care for us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In your name, amen. Before I share, I'd like to, uh, on behalf of the board, to thank so many of you for stepping up and helping when Pastor Scott was gone. We're certainly grateful to have him back, and uh, so many different ways you helped, and really appreciate that. And going forward, as he said, we need all of you to be involved. Um, thank you so much for your involvement. It takes every one of us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I'm holding in my hands, on a sheet of paper, two seeds of corn. They were planted 13th of May, and uh, in about 10 days, they emerged from the ground, and they grew great. They got to be oh, a little over knee high, and uh, the 15th of June, we had a hailstorm, and I think I shared some of those samples of corn they were about that tall after the hail. Well, yesterday, yesterday I went out. These two stalks were within two feet of each other. They were in the same row. They had the same soil, they had the same fertilizer, they were planted at the same depth, they came out of the ground within 12 hours of each other, and then they had the same storm. After the storm, they had the same sunshine, same water, the same wind, same growing environment. But look at the difference. Two feet apart. This one has two ears on it, of all things. Tall, green, lush. Look at this one. Same identical thing. Same environment. I want you to just hold that picture in your mind as I go through the message this morning. Uh, many of the books, how many of you like reading books? Okay, many of the books that you and I read, they start out at the beginning of the, chat, of the book, and, and it's like there's a separate story in a story, and you have to get past that first chapter or two that uh, we really realize what the story's about. In a way, that's what I'm going to be doing this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to Numbers 13, and uh, we're going to be using a lot of verses this morning from both the Old and the New Testament. As we, re as we review what happened after God led the people of Israel out of Egypt, 
And now they are at the threshold of entering the land that was promised to them. Verse 1 says, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each tribe, explore the land. And each tribe had to have a leader chosen. Now, I would think that there would have been a lot of excitement in the camp at this moment for the Israelites and for the chosen leaders to go. And I would think there would have been more men uh, volunteering to go than could go. Moses goes on and gives them this instruction in verses 16 to 8 to 20. Check out the land. Are the people strong or weak? Excuse me. Is the soil fertile or is it poor soil? Is there any fruit grown there? And what kind of fruit? What are the towns and the cities like? Can you imagine, I would think, the excitement that there must have been? This land, you see, was promised Abraham many, many years before. A lot had happened since that time. And they had been told by their parents the story and the promise that God had given to Abraham. Here they were at the moment of history where it was going to happen. The land they were to take, with God's help, was around 150 miles long and 60 miles wide. That would be roughly from Laverne to Albert Lee and roughly from Worthington to Marshall. Of course, it wasn't flat like here in the plains. Um, It had mountains and hills and fertile valleys. So, so it was going to take a few weeks to do that, and I suppose it made it a little bit slower. They just couldn't waltz in and, and check it out. They sure didn't want to be seen. Surely someone had to witness from that land what had happened at the Red Sea. And the people probably saw and were somewhat concerned with 600,000 people, men, and their families camping not very far away. They could have easily numbered two, two million people. And in the following verses, they went and did what Moses asked him to do. And after they were gone for 40 days, starting at verse 27, they gave this report to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community. We went into the land in which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is a sample of the fruit. It was a large cluster of grapes that took two men to carry. The hills were covered with fig and date and nut trees. But this next statement is life-changing for the spies and for over two million people. The people who live there are powerful, and cities are fortified and very large. And they go on and telling the people about the living that lived in the land. They were way too big and way too many to begin to defeat. Verse 30. Caleb had had enough of that negativity. He silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Again, the other ten said, We can attack those people and spread a false report among them. I'm getting to the point in my message here and where I am taking this. Remember, this land was promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Here were these people after all these years from that promise. 
They were going to be blessed to go into the land promised to Abraham. Remember, they saw God deliver them out of Egypt. And that was a miracle in itself. They saw the waters high above them as they crossed on dry ground through the Red Sea. They saw God defeat the Egyptian army by drowning them in the sea. They witnessed many miracles on the trip of God leading them again and again, providing for them. Again with the end game, to give them the land that was promised to, to them. All they needed to do was to take their eyes off of their circumstances and remember the power of their God and faith to believe that God was with them and would do what he promised. What happened? The Israelites instead, they took their eyes and faith off of their God and put it on the belief of those ten leaders that said, we can't do it. What God had told them in the past of his power and that he did what he promised was not good enough for them to believe and act on that belief. The ten leaders convinced them over God's promise that they could not enter and take the land. Because of that lack of faith in God's promise, they missed out on the promised land. And over the next 40 years, they had to wander in the wilderness. And over those 40 years, everyone over 20 years of age died until a new generation was raised up. Question for us at this point, are we not at times like the people of Israel? listening to other voices and not God's truth, even though we have experienced the power of God in our lives and witnessed the truth of God's word displayed, what kind of a report does my life, do our lives, tell others about God around us? Do we encourage and challenge others that God is real and will do what he promised? Does our speech and our attitudes and our actions encourage or discourage others to follow our Lord? Do you and I believe in God's promises? Another example from the Old Testament is found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Here we find the battle lines drawn between the people of Israel and the Philistines. They were on opposite sides of the valley waiting for the other one to make the first move. The first one to attack was at a disadvantage because they had to climb up on the cliffs against the opposing enemy and they would take a huge loss of life. So many times, they would have two strong leaders, one from each army. And the loser's army of that fight would have to become subjects and slaves of the winner. Well, here we find the champion of the Philistines taunting the army of Israel to send someone to fight him. Chapter 17, verse 10, Goliath stood and shouted, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And in verse 11, we read these words on here. They forgot God and his promises and put their belief in the giant before them. One young David comes along, bringing lunch from his dad for his brothers who were in Saul's army. And while there, he ran to the front lines and heard Goliath speak. He immediately responded in verse 26. What will God do to the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You see, David had complete confidence in his God, who in the past had helped him kill a lion and a bear. 
He had witnessed the power of his God as a shepherd. Listen to the words in verse 45 that David told Goliath. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord Almighty will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God of Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord says, For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Wow! What a testimony from a young boy, young man, young teenager, both to the Philistine army and the army of Israel. You see, David didn't listen to all those negative voices. He knew his God was greater, and he depended on God for that victory. Here are two examples of faith. Very with very different results. You and I are given that same choice. How then should we live? How should grace community move forward? Those of us who are leaders, leaders in our homes and in our families, in the church family, what a tremendous responsibility and opportunity God gives us. The question we need to ask ourselves and together as a church, how can we be people of faith and run the race of life, keeping our eyes on the power of God? The last time I shared many different situations in my life that happened in the past and how God and working at growing me in my faith journey. But there's so much more ahead for myself and for you as individuals and our church as well. We are reminded in First Peter 1, that trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is, being it is being tested as a fire test and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. And one more out of First Peter chapter 4. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery trials that have come on you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. So that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Many throughout the world are going through situations that we cannot imagine here. Danielle suggested that we read this book titled, What They Meant for Evil. How a lost girl of Sudan found healing and peace and purpose in the midst of suffering. On the back jacket here, uh, Minnesota Vikings quarterback Kurt Cousins writes this. Rebecca found a strength and bravery to combat the worst levels of trauma and come out victorious, healthy, and whole. In what they meant for evil, Rebecca shares a page-turning account of the raw realities of evil, but also the overcoming power of faith. This is a must-read for anyone who wants to make a real difference in the world. We are reminded by God's word 
to lift many other people like her around the world and many others like her before the Father in prayer. And I also know in this room that there are many of you who have and are currently dealing with trials that are very hard and in the here and now. Well, Christ calls us in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Thanks to, this is not a yoke. A yoke is a piece of wood that fastens over two oxen. This is a harness. He said he hadn't used this lately. But uh, this is a horse collar. And then they would tie harnesses on and pull whatever equipment they had. When these verses, Jesus is talking about the demands of the religious leaders and the rules and demands they put on people trying to please God with the rules they had made up for the demand of the demands of others, like this heavy collar. Here Jesus tells us that he will free us of these demands, and he promises his love, forgiveness, and peace with God. You and I, we often carry extra heavy burdens around with us, perhaps some sin or people's demands, Worries of many shapes and sizes, maybe bad choices we have made ourselves, or just plain weariness of life. And there are many situations out of our control, many things that just plain wear us down and take all our energy. But yoke can also be good things of themselves, but they can place a burden on us and our families. Two different size yokes. Well, I'm going to leave that one off. <laughs> First Peter tells us in, in chapter 5, verse 6, to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He is telling you and I, quit trying to live life in our own strength. Friends, there's nothing we do or say and our own strength is good enough. Take his yoke and learn his ways, for he is gentle and humble, and he will give us rest. Many times God gives us strength and, and peace in the storms of life in form of victories. We need to write them down and share them to remind us and others. In an earlier battle in 1 Samuel 7, it tells us, After the Lord had given them victory over the Philistines, Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Sin. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far has the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israel. And the stone, whenever people saw it, was to remind them of the, and their children of what God had done. And that's what these stones represent. That's about all I could lift. I'm not as strong as I used to be, but uh, those stones were to remind their children and their grandchildren, generation after generation, that God is faithful. So they wouldn't forget.
and it's to be a witness. Even in our times, there's monuments in our country to remind us of the past. Right here behind me is a cross. Reminds us of the sacrifice of our Jesus Christ, God's Son, for our salvation. We partake in the Lord's Supper as a memorial to remind us of that. Mount Rushmore in South Dakota, the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C., and the Vietnam Memorial. And just down the street in the east, east of Grace is a land covered with small memorials, monuments, as it were, of loved ones who have died, and we want to honor and remember them. Well, here is a picture and a memorial of young, a young boy named Kelvin Luthold that his parents sent to me. And with their permission, I'm sharing. It is a memorial that their life group put together to honor a young boy and whose life affected everyone around him. And in his young life and death, he has impacted thousands of lives, including mine. His parents have been through the deepest valley and have made the choice to walk hand in hand together with their Savior, to believe that their Heavenly Father's promise and He is sovereign and loves them with an everlasting love. They have chosen to live their lives sorrowful yet always rejoicing. The words of His life are written on that bench. He was God's light. These words... And a picture of Calvin of the Daily Globe. May we honor Calvin's mission and be God's light as well. I also know that there are living memorials right here in this room, individuals and families who are living every day with deep life-changing issues some with health issues yourself or one of your kids. You are walking a very hard path, many times crying out to God for deliverance, for strength to carry the burden. Some of you with a recent loss of an unborn child, but through all the tears and deep pain, you have chosen to believe in your God, that he will daily give you the strength to get to the finish line, and that he will supply all your needs as he has promised. Every day, you are a living memorial of your powerful and loving God. God doesn't promise us to keep us from the storms of life, but he does promise to carry us through them. We don't often like to hear this, but our faith does not grow in the sunshine, but in the storms. But we have a choice. God never forces himself on anyone. It was a few weeks ago, I was visiting one of my brothers in Sanborn, Iowa, and on the way home, the Spirit convicted me I needed to talk to, stop and visit a young fellow that was going through a, a loss. So I stopped and pulled in his yard, and uh, through this course of visit, I uh, shared how God was ministering to me and has, and he stopped me right away. He says, I don't want to hear it. I don't believe in God. I don't believe there's a God. I'm atheist. And it broke my heart to hear that.
But I put my hand on his shoulder, and I said, that's okay. God never forces himself on anybody, but he loves you. And uh, we had a good visit. And when he left, when I left, 45 minutes later, he thanked me for coming. He said I was the only one that stopped. And I thought, man, if I hadn't listened to the Spirit, I wouldn't. I would have missed that opportunity. Well, over the years, things have happened, and as I do my devotions, I have written dates and notes beside a verse or verses on how God, how that verse spoke to me. And years later, I'm reminded of how God ministered to me at that. When we tell others, it's not about how spiritual or how strong we are, but to, but to give glory to God and praise to him for what he has done. Our journey through life and how God carries us and is so faithful to us gives us hope and it is to be encouragement to others and can be a light in the darkness of our world. In our victories, we need to remember, as Charles Spurgeon, an author and preacher in the mid 1800s, said, if the Lord has prospered you, if in your soul peace and joy are reigning, or if you have enjoyed success in Christian service, take heed that you do not lift your horn on high or take honor to yourself. Render all the glory to God, for whom it is most justly due. Let Psalms 115, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Be always on your heart and often on your tongue. All praise belongs to God for what he has done. You see, you and I cannot rest on the past, but we can learn and grow and remember God's faithfulness of carrying us and giving us his strength during those times. Listen to this other quote from Samuel Gordon. My blessed, fruitful, victorious experiences of yesterday, they have no lingering value to me today. In fact, they can be swallowed up by today's failures unless I see them as incentives to spur me on to better and richer experiences today. You see, we need to press on to the goal line. We need to finish the race. As long as you and I have breath within us, we are still in the race. And we need to believe that God will supply all our needs. Philippians 4 reminds us, My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He does not grant us everything we want, but he gives his power to live in faith as we face the pressures of life. We must pray for that power. It is available through the Holy Spirit that is in us. Listen to the words of Paul written from his prison cell from Philippians. Not that I've already obtained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see, our lives as individuals and we as a church are not just to coast along. We are called to press on, work to grow in our faith, and encourage others to do the same in their lives. Remember, Paul had a reason to forget what was behind. He held the coats of those who stoned Stephen, the first Christian martyr, and he himself went around and persecuted Christians and arrested them. You and I, some of us have, many of us, have things that we are ashamed of, but God in his mercy and his grace forgive us 
He forgave Paul, and he does the same for us. We have been forgiven, we've been washed clean, and we can let go of the past and allow God to use us and live a life of faith and obedience. We need to stop beating ourselves up and believe in the power of the cross that is strong enough to cleanse us and the promise that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And he remembers him no more. Anyone here like to run? Any runners in the group? Okay, some of you are runners. If you're in a race, what happens when you look behind you or beside you? You're probably going to get passed. Or worse, you could stumble and fall. I remember as a farmer, before we had GPS, I would start out across the field and keep my eyes on a tree or a pole to keep me straight. But if you looked away as home, as you did that, you'd have a bend in what you were doing. One time when we were driving home, our family was little, and uh, a wind came up and we had a complete whiteout. The snow just instantly blinded us. Well, needless to say, I lost my way, and I ended up driving in the opposite ditch. And, and we spent the whole night in the car, in the ditch, with three little kids in the snowstorm. Just ask Bonnie sometimes how much fun that is. You learn to improvise a little bit. We need to be equipped. Uh, the storms of life can also cause us to lose our focus. What distractions are you and I dealing with that causes us to lose our focus? We need to be equipped to run the Christian life. We cannot do it on our own strength. When Jeremiah was wondering how the Lord was going to work, even though God told him to buy a field captured by the enemy, by the way, I encourage you in your devotions to read the book of Jeremiah. This is what the Lord asked Jeremiah, and he asked us the same. I am the Lord, the God of mankind. Is anything too hard for me? You see, you and I need to focus on God's power, not our willpower. Again, another promise from Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that the day and the night no longer come at their appointed time. Then my covenant with David, my servant, and my covenant with the Levites, who are priests ministering before me, can be broken, and David will no longer have a descendant upon the throne. Well, if you look out that window, what do we have? Day. day, right. And what happens at night? We have night. And we also have a descendant of David, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our Heavenly Father can be completely trusted to keep his promises and his power as the worship team saying his power is in us to withstand the battles of life we need the equipment of god's armor cade would you invite cade to come up let's give cade a hand for coming cade's got some equipment He's going to tell us, okay, Cade, what, what sport are you playing? Football. Okay, and what's, what are these for here? Uh, to protect me so when I get hit, it doesn't hurt that bad. Okay, good. 
and you got pads here. They're for the same thing, mm-hmm. and you don't have spikes on. But that do you? You don't have. Yeah. Hey, you do have spikes. Okay, that's to give you what? It's more speed. More speed. More traction. So you right. Don't slip and stuff. That's right. So you don't slip and stuff. And what's this on top of your head? Um, a helmet, so I don't get a concussion. That's right. Okay. No, let me ask you this. Uh-huh. Yeah. And why is that? You think? Uh. So we have a better chance at winning the game. Okay, good. And what's this on top? Huh? What's, what are you wearing up here? Helmet. Okay, and what's that for? Protecting my brain. That's right, protecting your brain. That's good. That's great. Okay, let me, let me ask one more question. Would you play a game of football without this on? Uh, probably not if it was tackle football. No, no. Flight football, you would, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. Tackle football is for your protection. Let's give Kate a hand for coming up. Okay, in Ephesians chapter 6, it tells us the equipment that God gives us. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put all of God's armor on so that you will be able to stand against the strategies of the devil. For we do not, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to risk the, resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all this, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times. And on every occasion, stay alert and persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. But before we put on God's armor, we need to rid ourselves of stuff that hinders us and weighs us down, makes us unable to fight the battles we are in, anything that causes you and I to lose our focus. It can even be good things that hinder our life as a child of God. We need to put on a new set of clothes, as it were. In Hebrews 12, it reminds us to throw off everything that hinders and that sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Those of you that are baseball and softball players, what does a catcher do when there's a ball that he needs to go after? What, what do they, what's a catcher do? Anybody know? They take their mask and they give it a heave. Why do they do that? You and I, the same way. We need to throw off sins of worry and ideas and thoughts and actions, the unrealistic demands of others, anything that can get in the way of our goal. It's very easy to get distracted in our life's race with our job, our family, our sports, material things. If they take all of our time and energy. Now is not the time 
in the world we live in for half-committed Christians. Tony Evans said, now is not the time for wimpy Christians. We are in a real battle for our souls, our children's souls, and peace and joy. Our service to the King of Kings, the real enemy, is real, and we need the full armor of God. Here's a picture of a Roman soldier. Much like Cade, pretty well fitted out for battle. We as Christ followers, soldiers as it were, need to have his armor to live victorious in this battle of life we were given. Some of these pieces of armor are defensive, and some of all are offensive, and some of those are both. And the equipment that God gives us are both. The first piece we need to put on is the belt of truth. Well, you ask, where does truth come from? It's not someone else's view of truth. It is what we think the truth, or it's not what we think the truth is, but the truth comes from God's revealed, holy, inspired word to protect our hearts and our lives. We must know the truth of God's counsel because we live in a time where truth is whatever each one believes is true. And you and I can see how that has affected the, our culture and even had an impact on our own lives. We need as individuals and as a church family to keep centered on the word of God and the truth that is revealed. Satan would like nothing more than to deter our mission and have us being effective in the work that God has given us. As your pastors and leaders, we need your prayers and support and encouragement and to continue the good fight, as in 1 Timothy tells us, fight the good fight of faith means to run from sin, pursuing things such as righteousness, godliness, faith, and love, all of it lined up with the truth of God's word, and encourage others to do the same. It comes down to making a choice to pursue God's will and to daily live a life of faith. And we desire, as your pastors and leaders, for all of you to do the same in your Christian walk. Our walk must be the same outside these walls as it is in this building. John tells us, Jesus tells us in John 14, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. All of our questions of life are answered in between the pages of this book. Truth remains unchanged because it is guaranteed by the unchanging character of God. God is truth and the source of truth. May God give us all boldness, like Caleb, like Joshua, like David, standing on the promises of God, sometimes standing alone against the loud voices of the enemy. And we need to believe, as they did, in the promises and power of God rather than in the voices of the majority. It is not because our faith is so strong, but belief and knowledge that our God is strong and faithful to his promises. We must know the truth, and we are promised in John 8, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth of life we need to be anchored in the truth of God's word. Are you beginning to see how important reading and studying and obeying the word of truth is in our fight 
against the temptations and sins of this world, we must daily be in the truth, in the word. Let me ask you and I, myself, how used is our Bible? If the only scripture, dear friends, that you read in a word in a week are off the screen, that's not going to be enough. We can't do battle just with that. Well, the next piece of armor is a breastplate of righteousness. Well, we are first made right by our salvation through Christ, and I strongly encourage you to give your life to Christ. Seek someone to help you. But we also need to live a life of righteousness with our thoughts and our words and our actions. Is it easy to live righteously in this world? No, it's not, especially in our own strength. In our own strength, we will not be able to stand against the temptations and other influences of this world. We all struggle, but with God's power and his truth and encouragement of others, we can live and grow in that righteousness to protect ourselves from the attack of the enemy. Well, the next piece of armor is our feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Our peace is resting on the promises of God's word. You and I, we all desire peace in our lives. And our enemy, the Satan, wants to rob us of that peace and make us worry and fret and tempt us to be anxious. Jesus tells us later in John 15, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you peace as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled, and do not be afraid. Where does that peace come from? Only comes through the Spirit within us. Faith in Christ, trusting in His truth that He gives us. And we daily need to pray for that peace, and we need to pray for that peace for each other. The next, uh, next is to take up the shield of faith. Roman soldiers carried shields to protect them from swords and arrows. The shields were covered many times with thick animal hides. Before they would go into battle, they would often soak them in water to make them uh, wet so that when the enemy would shoot flaming arrows at them, they would extinguish them. The wet shield was enough to extinguish that. Similarly, our shield of faith is strengthened by the truth of God's word and to protect us from Satan's arrows. We must take our eyes off of our circumstances and look at them through God's eyes and ask the Lord to increase our faith and rely on God's righteousness. Can you begin to see how all this equipment is tied together, interwoven to protect us and give confidence to live in the power of our risen Lord? Well, the next piece is to take up the helmet of salvation. Praise God for the gift of salvation but also the daily reminder what that means and to allow him to work that salvation into every aspect of our lives. The helmet, like Cade said, it's on top of our head. It is there to protect our heads and our minds. The world around us is corrupt and filled with sin. Romans 12 tells us, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, if our mind is damaged in any way, the rest of the armor is not going to do much good. 
We must firmly keep the helmet buckled to dodge the arrows of our mind. Romans 12 also says, it tells us to renew our minds by allowing the truth of God's word to penetrate this mind. Our helmet of salvation is very protective and regard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Well, the next is to take up the sword of the Spirit. The sword, the word of God. Some of you, do any of you remember the game we used to play in VBS or, or Sunday school? It's called the sword drill. Anybody remember maybe the sword drill? Yep, a couple. I think sometimes when the teacher of our Sunday school or VBS ran, uh, ran out of material before the class was over, they would have us play the sword drill. And everybody had to hold their Bible over their heads, and then the teacher would say a verse or verses, and then you had to find it and read it. And whoever found it and read it first won. Verse after verse, and the idea was to help you find, to know where the uh, books of the Bible were. And I swear there was one girl that could always find that verse and read it before I could get my Bible open. <laughs> Why is the knowledge of this book so important? It is our source of truth. It's our sword to fight off the enemies of our mind. The sword is used in defense as well as offense against enemies. When sharp, it is very dangerous. Hebrews 4.12 tells us, The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts all the way to where the soul and the spirit meet, to where the joints and marrow come together. It judges the desires and thoughts of the heart. You see, the word of God penetrates to the depths of who we are and transforms us from the inside out. Let me share a very personal time where that happened to me. And some, of this, some in this room were actually there to witness it. And I've shared it with some. It was probably 15 years ago, the church that we were attending, we had a situation, my wife and I, and we uh, went and shared it with the pastor at that time. And in my mind, the pastor didn't respond like he should. Over a period of time, and ultimately, it affected my relationship with my Heavenly Father. You see, if we got a bad relationship horizontally, our vertical relationship isn't very good either. Well, over time in my devotions, I was read the verses about if you have something against a brother, you need to go make it right. And then before you have take communion, you should examine yourself. Well, wouldn't you know what as God does that next Sunday we had communion? And they passed out the bread and passed out the cup. And the Holy Spirit was convicting me. I was just literally shaking. Dan, you need to go make this right. And I fought it until the very last moment. The pastor was just ready to commence with having us participate at the very last moment, I handed it to Bonnie, my cup and my bread. And I went up front, and I reached my hand out to our pastor, and I said, I'm sorry for my attitude toward you. It totally caught him off guard, naturally so. But and he, he didn't know quite how to respond. And 
I totally get that too. But I walked away from that. But I do know today there's a pastor in our house. I know what he would do. He would have walked around that table and gave me a hug. But I'm, it has nothing, I'm not blaming the pastor. It was me. It was my attitude. And thank the Lord after that time, he gave me peace. And that's what it boils down to. If we forgive someone, it gives us peace. And that's what all God calls us to do. Now I got to find my place. With all this equipment, this belt of truth, this breastplate of righteousness, feet fitted with the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, we still need power. That power comes through the Holy Spirit that He implants in us at the moment He comes into our lives. When Jesus was here on earth, you see, He could only affect those around Him. Space confined him, as it were. But when he left earth, he promised us he would never leave us, and he would send his spirit. So now his spirit, his presence is in all of us, Christians all over the world. The question is not, how much of the Holy Spirit do you and I have, but how much of you and me does the Holy Spirit have? Are you and I daily reading his word, applying it to our lives, Everything we think, how we live and interact with others. Are we listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit that wants to guide us moment by moment? God gives us everything we need. And we are also reminded in verses 18 and 19 to pray always for others. We need to pray for each other and and ourselves asking for power to live the Christian life. There's so much more that could be said about the armor of God. That would make a great sermon for you, Pastor Scott. You would take six months to do what I'm trying to do here in a little while. Can you begin to see how important this equipment is tied together to protect us? We need all the pieces to run the race of life. The Holy Spirit, God's presence within us, gives us a source of power. Thankfully to Phil, he let me use a nice clean battery. That's what this is. Inside, under your hood of your car, or under the hood of the truck, or the tractor, whatever you have, there's one of those, or several of those. All the parts of the truck, and the car, and the tractor are of no use, unless that is fully charged. You see, the battery is connected to an alternator that's run by a belt from the fan pulley, The belt runs the alternator that charges that battery to keep the battery charged so the whole engine keeps going. It all has to work together to make the car run and to get us from place to place. Sometime ask Jane how good it is to go down the interstate and the battery is dead. You you just don't go anywhere. If you go out to your car out in the parking lot, the battery is dead, you're not doing a thing. We need all the parts of God's armor to live and move and win the race. We also need the encouragement of each other. We have in the Bible, they call a vast crowd of witnesses cheering us on. In Hebrews, it talks about 
by faith, Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses' parents and Moses and Rahab and Gideon and Barak and Samson, Jephthah and David and Samuel, and there's many others, many who gave their lives for their faith. They are a witness to you and I of staying in the race, keeping their eyes on the goal. They were imperfect people just like you and I. But through it all, with their Heavenly Father's help, they finished the race as we must, as Philippians 3 tells us, I press on to win the goal of the the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. Our lives should have the goal to be more Christ-like each and every moment of our days. And when we fail, which we do, we need to ask our Father's forgiveness and get up and get back in the race, not to give up and sit on the sideline. There was a time after my father died that I was really struggling. And about six months later, I had this dream that my father was calling from heaven. He told me that he was busy preparing rooms, and he was, he was doing great, and he would see me before too long. And he encouraged me to stay in the fight, and he would be seeing me. Well, after that, I had a peace that's unexplainable. It was part of the witness of that vast crowd cheering us on. You see, you and I are not to live a life, Christian life, alone. We need family. It takes endurance to run and finish. And where does that endurance come from? Isaiah said, He gives power to the weak and to those who have might. Not might, he increases strength. You see, we can be spiritually strong in Christ even when we are physically weak. Remember the song we're going to sing here real shortly. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Paul tells us in Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. You and I, We cannot begin to understand the power over death and the grave. But the God that you and I serve has that power. And he implants that same power in us. Same power that lives in us. It's not just for eternity when we are raised to new life. But when we accept Christ as our Savior and Christ's Spirit lives in us, Power to change, power over sin, power to live a victorious life now. God's grace is not just for the future, but for the here and now. We have been set free in the power of the cross to live in the fullness of Christ, to run the race before us and reach the goal. Would you please stand with me as the worship team comes up? I'd like to close with this song or excuse me, with this prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians in chapter 3. And my prayer for each of you, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide how long and high 
and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immensely more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen.